G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast, and we don't ask much in return, but we'd be incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcast or Acast or wherever you find this podcast and leave us a review. Obviously, a five-star review would be great, but we really appreciate a couple of moments of your time to do that for us. Today, joining um, Brian and myself in our virtual studio, we're delighted to have Dr. Rhiannon Morgan with us, who is one of our uh, lecturers in equine diagnostic imaging here at the RBC. Hello, Rhiannon. How are you? Hi, Dom. I'm good. Thanks very much for having me. The pleasure is all ours. <laughs> and we thought we'd talk about um, one of those sort of, uh, uh, I suppose, uh, enigmas, if you like, of, of um, uh, the diagnostic imaging world, but pre-purchase radiographs and or diagnostic imaging in, in general. Um, so um, so thank you for uh, allowing us to uh, to take some, some of your time today, Rhiannon, to, to talk about this. Um, but maybe at the, at the start, could I, could I ask, so in a pre-purchase exam, are, does diagnostic imaging always have a, a role? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, no, no, it doesn't. Horses can have pre-purchase exams, um, two-stage and five-stage, without um, diagnostic imaging playing a part. It's completely up to the purchaser, really, how much or how little diagnostic imaging they want to be performed. Okay, so so because it's a bit of a... Um, it's a strange sort of concept, isn't it? I suppose for for outside of the, um, sorry, in the animal industry, I suppose that horses seem to be the only um, species that we do pre-purchase exams on, as far as I'm I'm aware, to this sort of level, and uh, it's kind of almost like a. Um, uh you know a, a sort of automobile association sort of check on the on you know does this um horse does what it what it should do so 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 with that is it if it's all down to the to the purchaser does it depend on then what that purchaser wants to use it for but obviously they're going to be guided by the vet who's doing that exam so does it sort yeah, of depend yeah. as well on the on the person that's performing that what they're comfortable with or what it's going to be useful? I think it depends a bit on both. I think it depends on who the purchaser is. Um, are they an experienced professional or are they buying their second horse? Um, so I think that's really where it does come into it. Some horses are x-rayed and the x-rays are assessed um, before the purchaser has had the pre-purchase exam carried out. In this scenario, it's usually um, the purchasers who are buying horses, hoping to sell the horses on, um, and they'd like the x-rays checked before they start to invest time and money into them, and therefore they'll know they have a clean set of x-rays with which to sell the horse on. So that would be a professional um, a professional trainer, a professional um, buyer. And then there's the other scenario where um, the PPE, the pre-purchase exam, will be carried out first, and then you'd move on to performing the radiographs. Um, so if the vet finds anything that makes the horse unfit for its intended use or the reason the purchaser is buying it, they can then not spend the money on the x-rays if the horse has already kind of failed the PPE. So you can do it both way around, and I think it really depends on who the purchaser is and what they're buying the horse for and how much experience they they have so, so could i ask with that Rhiannon, and forgive my ignorance but with, with the sort of first scenario that you said so sometimes people actually would have taken images to to show that there's nothing wrong with them 
is is that accepted as in that 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 has happened at a certain time period and i suppose that it, it, are there any guidelines for how old those images um should be before you need to repeat those yeah that's a really good question so um, I've been reviewing some images today. <laughs> a horse had a, a set taken in 2017, 2019, and I think the horse is coming from America. So they really want to ensure they've got a clean set of x-rays before, as I say, doing the pre-purchase exam and then investing the money to um, importing the horse. So anything older than recent or um current x-rays i would say they're not completely trustworthy because you know things may have happened a lameness may have occurred since those previous x-rays were taken so it's okay to review them and assess them in comparison to the ones you're taking but i wouldn't rely on historic x-rays if that makes sense. No, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And and I suppose, in, is it sort of like a, an industry standard that if you are sort of more of a, a, a buyer and seller of horses that you would take um, uh, a, a, set of, a set of films associated with that because you know that that's probably going to be looked at? And is that just sort of accepted rather than um, people saying, well, actually, I want my team or my vet or whatever to to um perform their own images uh, i think it really depends on the value of the horses so i think the higher value horses it's much more likely that they'll have a set of x-rays taken before the pre-purchase exam or before the travel um, whereas there's lots of horses being bought and, and sold at a lower value where this just won't happen because i suppose the purchaser knows that their next buyer is unlikely to request radiographs if they're a low level for example a low level um eventer or a child's pony or a happy hack but that doesn't mean that pre-purchase x-rays aren't ever done in that scenario again it's completely up to the purchaser um it's just maybe less likely that a buyer that's hoping to sell on low low value horses or lower value horses is going to request that. And and so, so say in that sort of the second sort of scenario that you talked about, so you're wanting to buy a horse and you and you um in, engage a vet to a pre-purchase exam and they find some lameness. If they if they um would you would you recommend that they perform imaging on that leg or or all legs? So if the horse was found to be lame in the pre-purchase exam. Yeah, or or some I don't know, swelling or abnormality. Yeah, okay. So there's two scenarios, scenarios I suppose, in that um, instance. One, the horse isn't going to be found fit for its intended purpose, and therefore the um, exam will be stopped and no x-rays will be taken. Or there's a possible reason for the lameness that might be a transient reason such as a hoof abscess or as you say a soft tissue swelling it bumped itself in the box and in those instances I would recommend x-rays um, just so you have some some more information to go on when deciding whether to find this horse fit for its intended use or not and as a baseline for that owner or that purchaser 
to um, have to see how it progresses. And I'm sure that then you'd write something into the contract um, regarding that and its progression um, with respect to giving the horse back to to the seller so it could be useful and, and so my understanding as well is very very limited with repurchase exams but if you take some images are you meant to report them for what you what you see on that or the actual what that what that might mean because i i suppose what i'm saying is you can find abnormalities can't you but are they going to be clinically significant or significant for what the um the use of the of the horse is going to be yeah that's a really good question so really you should report on everything you see because if they're sent for a second opinion then there might be other things picked up that you have decided not to report on but also assigning the clinical significance to them you know is very useful for the purchaser um we know from reviews and research what is likely to be a problem and what is less likely to be a problem and giving that kind of relative significance I think is very useful there are I mean there are very very small things that maybe you you wouldn't report on things that are considered more normal variation Um, so you wouldn't report on everything but anything that is possibly considered abnormal variation is useful to to write down, but then assign the clinical significance and try and um, try and recommend. And and so, Rhiannon, if people are kind of new to this game and and uh, and looking at um, and taking some some films, some radiographs of, of of legs, what 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 are the common things to look at, and probably the common um, uh, like traps or or uh, um, areas where, where it gets confusing or you know, common pitfalls, if you like, of, of interpreting some of these images? Okay, so common things that you're looking for on vetting rads, I suppose, depends on the age of the horse and the discipline of the horse that you're, that you're looking at. Um, common things would be more for youngsters, but still in older horses would be OCD, um, any fragments that are associated with the joints, um, any small depressions in the bone, um, any cysts and things like that. Even in OCD, there are certain types of OCD, such as like a little depression on the dorsal sagittal ridge in the fetlock. That's considered you know, unlikely to be of any significance and unlikely to affect performance in the future. Whereas a subchondral bone cyst in your medial femoral condyle is has been linked to lameness. Um, but then you've got to take the age of the horse into consideration. If you find a cyst in a mature horse with no signs of osteoarthritis in the joint and has been performing very well, then that's potentially a cyst that isn't going to cause a problem. But if you find a cyst in a very young animal, you don't have that history to back up what the cyst is going to do. So the cyst might become clinically significant as the horse is challenged further athletically. So we do have evidence to help us decide um, on the things we find. So so you're looking a lot for OCD chips and fragments. Um, In older horses, you'd be looking for any signs of osteoarthritis, 
Um, osteoarthritis in the distal hock joints is very common. You'd be looking for um, any signs of navicular bone disease. That's always a hot topic, especially in um, kind of dressage horses and older warm bloods. And we also have evidence of what to look for that may indicate um, a more severe change compared to a less clinically significant change. So I'd, I'd suggest if you're doing pre-purchase exams or, or looking at x-rays that you find um, reviews and papers for the discipline and age that you're looking for because it can be quite different between them. So, so are you saying you know, that if you see a lesion, is it always mm-hmm. going to be clinically significant? Like you, you, you highlighted like some cysts might not be, but for the most part, I, I suppose, are you saying that if you see something, it's probably actually going to have a, 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 a significance in the performance of the horse, but I suppose it's related to um, the age of the horse and kind of what that performance level is? Well, no. every <clears throat> Everything we spot is kind of has a different... Um, a different story behind it. So like I was saying, the um, concavity in your dorsal sagittal ridge, <clears throat> that's thought to be linked to osteochondrosis. But the significance of it is very, very low. Um, it's unlikely to cause any problems in the future. <clears throat> I think young there was a study looking at young thoroughbreds and it had no um, influence over their future racing performance. So there are some lesions that we know are very, very unlikely to cause any problems at all. Okay, that's 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 good. And so, and you, you mentioned um, so so we, you have evidence uh, uh, about that. So have have people looked at um, uh, the, the sorry pre purchase exam radiographs outside of say the thoroughbred industry and looked at whether that actually has equated to. Um, um, like a benefit or you know has predicted what you thought it might predict or has that not been looked at yeah there are some there are some studies um there are a lot in the thoroughbred because it's a nice standard uniform um, population and they all have radiographs at the same time and then it's very easy to follow their racing careers using the racing post and information like that so it's a very nice population to work with um there are also studies in endurance horses and um, warm bloods. I think there are more studies coming out of Germany recently about warm bloods, but I certainly think that there's room in, in the literature for, for more studies. And, um, and so moving on maybe from, from uh, um, radiographs, so, so is, there, is, is ultrasound used in pre-purchase exams and, and has that been verified or...? Um, I'm not sure about verified, but it's certainly used in pre-purchase exams. Uh, the populations that use it more are sports horses and race horses. It would be very unusual in um, a horse that's used for general purpose riding um, or a child's pony, etc. So the thoroughbreds and the sport horses it would be usually used to look at their tendons and ligaments. And any pre-purchase exam that has a suspicion of a soft tissue injury or where the purchaser wants to investigate further, you could certainly use ultrasound in that respect. And, and because ultrasound is more of a, um, a dynamic study, does that, does that have um, difficulty with 
that information being interpreted by sort of anyone else. So I suppose what I'm saying, if you mm. show a set of radiographs to you or, or another imager, you, you normally have some sort of um, agreement, I suppose, with, with what you're seeing. But is that the same with, with ultrasound? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So ultrasound is a lot more user dependent. Um, and the person taking the ultrasound um, images is going to be able to interpret them much better than somebody looking at them retrospectively. But that doesn't mean that doesn't happen. People are sent ultrasound images, we're sent ultrasound images for a second opinion. But I don't think it's quite as reliable as the person that's actually doing it at the time. And and just as a as a side, do you think the the use of ultrasound should be more because of I suppose if we're looking at just radiographs, we're looking at the, the joints itself, but probably that um, you know, tendons and muscles might be as equally important. So do you think the significance should be increased of, of the use of ultrasound? I think you can really nicely palpate tendons and ligaments, especially in the distal limb. Um, so I think unless you have a suspicion, it might uh, create more problems than answers. If there is a suspicion of anything in large size or pain on palpation or even a history of a problem and you want to see how it's doing and even get a baseline for when you purchase the horse, I think that's totally understandable. But um, I think it may create more questions. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. And um, and so I, I suppose I should jump jump back actually sort of to Brady Goss. So we spoke about, about limbs, but what, what do you think about um, uh, images of, of backs and necks? Mm, yeah that's they're happening more often that's for certain um we have back x-rays taken more often than neck x-rays so then i think they're quite hard to correlate um problems with we see impinging dorsal spinous processes in completely normal horses we have um a group one winning racehorse that we see uh, who has an absolutely terrible back, but performs extremely well and is extremely successful and has probably grade four, so severe um, DSP impingement with other changes. And moving on to the neck, that can be can be a similar problem as well. So there's been a recent study looking at warm bloods um, with and without neck pain and they looked at the x-rays um, of these horses they looked at the level of their peak performance and if they had any trend of um, of going lower than the peak performance so they really correlated a lot of clinical signs and the horse's performance and they found that enlarged articular process joints which we commonly talk about all the time and that's what everyone is concerned about when they're looking at x-rays that enlarged APJs have been seen in horses with no cervical neck pain and that are performing at the peak of their of their ability. So again, assigning whether large joints are actually causing a problem is tricky. So if you have a pre-purchase exam um, on a horse that has no back pain, no pain to palpation, a good range of motion in the neck, no neck stiffness, Again, no pain on palpation, no muscle atrophy, and you find changes, <laughs> how are you going to conclude on them? If the horse is performing, it depends also if the horse is performing at the level you're going to want it for at the time. 
So if the horse is already performing, say you want to do B100 eventing, if the horse is performing at that level with those changes, then I think it's it's a better scenario than if you want a horse to in future perform at a much higher level. We can't tell you on the x-rays if those changes are going to withstand um, further athletic performance. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it's quite it's quite tricky to to predict the future with these changes, but these changes can certainly be seen in horses that are performing very well. Get, get, going going back to say the the pre purchase exams or, or thoroughbred sort of sales when they're younger is is that is that similar as well that you can't you can't always be sure you know you can say things that look good now but are they going to look good when the work increases and um, and obviously, I suppose their maturity increase and their weight increases, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that is the problem with pre-purchase x-rays. It's hard to predict how the horse is going to withstand those changes in the future when they're increasing um, their workload. But we know some of these changes are really not clinically significant. However, if people want to sell the horses on, we know that they will cause a problem. So there's two different reasons for finding these things and whether that's right or wrong is another question. But whether we're one, we're finding things that may um, affect the future sale price and two, we're trying to find things that may affect their future performance. Yeah. And um, and I suppose like moving sort of another way sideways, I have to think of different ways to move. Um, what, what do you think about sort of the use of advanced imaging? So I suppose like mainly MRI, but but maybe there's going to be a rise of, of CT in the future in, in, in the sort of pre-purchase exams. I suppose like mm. how detailed do you think you need to be? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's been talked about in the press with um, the Melbourne Cup a lot in the past year and a year or two years. Um, again, I think that it could open a can of worms. It could, um, create a lot more questions and answers. Um, but with specific situations, I think it is very useful. So if the horse is known to have a previous lameness or known to have, excuse me, a specific area of pathology, then it's quite understandable the purchaser might might want to see how that is doing or how that's progressed or deteriorated and also to get a baseline for themselves to see how it might change into the future so I think it is you know not a bad idea for certain scenarios but I certainly wouldn't be advocating it for general um, PPEs. Can can I ask just for again my my ignorance very ignorant in this in this podcast but but the um the relation to the Melbourne Cup was that because they they've asked for these scans to happen for people for for those um horses to enter the the race yeah exactly um mainly CT exams previously um but the problem is it's hard to predict exactly what small changes are going to be clinically significant and what small changes are just a normal adaptive response to horses training and we need further evidence to know which way to go for this and really we need MRI, CT and scintigraphy to build an exact picture so do you then start expecting 
all these modalities to be used just for a horse to enter a race. Um, at the moment, that's that's what they have been asking for, um, but only for a particular race. So uh, there's lots of questions in that area, and it's it's you know it's a hot topic in in racing at the moment. So, so I suppose in in answering um, uh, in answering that, thank you. It's, it's quite it's nice when the, there's a bit of controversy going around. I, I kind of mm. like that. But um, uh, so I imagine that all, you know pre-purchase imaging and uh, is going to is going to stay. Um, but do you do you, I suppose you think so? What what questions would you like to to be answered in that in that sort of realm of of pre-purchase use of diagnostic imaging? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think they are going to stay. I think um, there's a there's a lot of reasons why purchasers want them, and it's quite difficult to to say no to to their to their to the reasons that that, that they want them. So, what what sort of more like research questions, Rihanna? Would you would you like answered within that that sort of realm of of pre purchase diagnostic imaging? So, what what questions do you think we need to ask about it about these modalities i suppose just more um studies into how these lesions progress and to uh, as, as i say a group in germany have been really working on this to grading the lesions and seeing whether grade one and grade two will be fine and grade three four and five are more likely to progress and cause a clinical problem and then we can more specifically um tailor the the radiographic assessment to the purchaser's intended use for the horse um we definitely need more studies looking in looking into this for sure and and um and obviously you're you're um uh in in a field that is is very focused on on diagnostic imaging that's your your um your day job and and so what what is what do you think is the the, the veterinary specialist in in diagnostic imaging's role with regards to uh, um, pre-purchase radiographs or pre, yeah, pre-purchase diagnostic imaging, let's say, rather than limit it to radiographs? Um, probably what exactly what I've been talking about, funnily enough. Um, so far, reading the x-rays, picking up on abnormalities and suggesting whether they are going to affect the horse or not. I think that's the most useful thing we can do. There's lots of things that can be quite tricky to find, and there's lots <laughs> there's lots of views that, when they're taken with a slightly different angle, can slightly hide certain lesions, especially OCD fragments. So I think um, somebody that's looking at a lot of these X-rays and is used to trying to find things and knows when something is slightly off angle and something is going to be hidden is quite useful because. It's quite. It is quite easy to to not see things, especially when you're not looking at a, a good volume. Um, so I think the you know the position of the radiologist is quite a useful one um, to be able to pick up these things, but also suggest whether they're going to affect the horse. And and I suppose that the most time, if you're if you're looking at a large volume of of these um, images, I'd imagine the majority are going to be normal is is that right so so i was just more thinking of a these sort of imaging studies where they say if the vast majority of things you're looking at normal actually finding an abnormal thing is is quite difficult unless you are told that you know the next 10 films are going to be abnormal yeah you're right most of the pp sets that i look at 
are normal. Maybe I'll find one or two small things, which I'd say are probably not going to be significant. Um, it's, always, it's always a bit more fun when you, can, <laughs> you find something um, that's interesting. And then you can definitively say, you know, this isn't good um, or give them some it give them some advice but yeah most of them are normal i must say and, and so you're gonna ask it's a, the classical owner question though Rhiannon, is so if you were buying a, a horse yourself today would you would you uh, radiograph it or or even do mris <laughs> yeah i definitely would <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's looking at a not very not very high level horse that's probably not worth much <laughs> but, I, but i still would um i'd really like to know if there's any subclinical changes, um, anything that might progress, and and for me also just to have that as a baseline. So if there is a problem in the future, then I will know if that area has deteriorated or or changed in some way. If that makes sense. So I, I mean, I think I always would like more information than than than, than less information. Um, but yeah, I say I bought a horse about seven or eight years ago and had a full set of x-rays and he wasn't going to do anything much, <laughs> very impressive, but just having that information was, was reassuring. Very good. Very good. And do, do you think there's anything within this sort of realm of the use of diagnostic imaging in, in pre-purchase exams that, um, that you think we, we haven't covered or, or should cover? Um, well, I suppose it, it as we discussed earlier, talking about radiation safety, that is a really like important aspect to pre-purchase exams. Equine vets are the only people in the country that are allowed or given the um, the accessibility to take an X-ray generator into the public domain and take X-rays. So we, have, you know, it's our responsibility really to make sure we're doing the best job we can and, and keeping everybody as safe as we can. And we need to try and stick to the Alara principles and be doing, you know, as low as possible radiation exposure. So I think that's a probably the most important aspect to PPE radiographs is are we really doing the best we can to protect everybody and um, carry out our radiation safety um to make to make that um you know worthwhile so, so you're saying it should be so i i suppose it, was, it seems quite um uh obvious doesn't it that the only only people allowed to um uh take take that device into the into the public uh, equine vets but um so are you, are you suggesting that maybe should it be done under the more controlled environment or or as in in, in a hospital-based scenario or just just to be mindful and careful of that uh, that right and privilege. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be done in a hospital environment, but to be mindful of the privilege, absolutely. Um, sorry, I should have said large animal vets as well because it's not just equine vets, of course, but um, but definitely be mindful of the privilege because we're always, um, you know, on a fine line. It can that privilege definitely can be removed. Um, so there's and there's always things changing. So at the moment. There's an implementation that everyone should be using generator stands. So no x-rays should now be taken whilst you're hand-holding the generator because the person hand-holding it um, is exposed to such a large dose of, of radiation. 
So <clears throat> it's very important to try and keep up to date with all these um, regulations, make sure we're doing our best. Absolutely. This makes the, um, there's lots of facets to, to all our jobs, aren't there? And it's, uh, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a, a, another example of that. But thank you. Um, thank you very much for, for that, Rhiannon, and, and your time. And I suppose if there's, if there's nothing else to add, then I'll, I'll leave you there. But, but I know from your, your uh, vast experience in podcasting yourself, how did it feel to be on the, um, on the other side of a, <laughs> of a podcast? Um, very different. I think I prefer to be the interviewer, but <laughs> it was my, my pleasure to be here. I should I should add, Dom, um, that if anybody has um, pre-purchased x-rays that they're worried about or they're not certain about, it's very common to, to ask a friend, phone a friend, ask a specialist, phone your referral hospital. A second opinion or a second set of eyes on, on x-rays is never a bad thing. So I think that's probably the best advice I can I can suggest in that respect. Can, can I ask, does, does, I suppose just going back to that, is, is there a sort of like a steady um, number of, of pre-purchase sort of images that, that that people see or or does it sort of change with time depending on, I don't know, the, I imagine that quine cells are pretty static or constant or does that actually sort of fluctuate or are people more or, or, or is it or are these requests getting increased as imaging modalities are increasing and I don't know expectations are increasing of, of um, buyers? We certainly <clears throat> over COVID we certainly saw a huge spike in the equine market. Um, prices for horses went through the roof and there was a huge amount of demand and I think that's probably because people weren't traveling as much and they were therefore were more likely to to get a horse and concentrate on that so we certainly saw a spike in in um, purchases and, and sales but there is usually a steady stream it's one thing that you can rely on it's quite um yeah quite a steady stream of them cool well, well, um, thank you again very much. I'm, I'm sure um, people can uh, catch you on the um, on the EVJ podcast uh, if they want to be more focused on on equine uh, related matters. Um, so, you say thank you very much again, Rhiannon, for your time, and we'll um, and we'll wrap it up there. So, thank you for listening, and um, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit based device, and that way you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. If you could leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or Acast or or anywhere, that would be great. And don't forget to tell your friends friends or any others we'll, we'll happily accept anyone to listen to our show so we'll place some show notes on the rvc pages so if you just type in rvc clinical podcast into your search engine of choice it should be top of the tree and if you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast please get in touch you can either email dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or tweet at don barfield until next time bye-bye